Yeah. Uh, there we go. Uh, I'm doing good. I'm living the dream, man. You know, uh, sitting in South Florida. It's about 85 degrees outside. Uh, wow. And uh, life is good. Life is very good. Life is good. Here I am in Raleigh, North Carolina. It's yeah. cold and yeah. damp. And yeah. I think we're the, I was looking at the weather this morning, right? And, you know, they showed a map of the United States. And I think, you know, our little tip of Florida is, uh, I think, the only place in the country that's not cold today. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for joining me on No Thanks But Yes, uh, Freedom From Addiction podcast, chill conversations with splendid people hmm. in recovery like yourself. Uh, doing amazing things. I'm so grateful that you said yes. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I love that title. It's it's um, it's great. It's great. It sounds like it took a lot of thought, but uh, it's very nice. What went through my head was, um, you know, kind of getting to the point in in one's process of of saying no thanks to. Um, the, the drugs, the behaviors that I leaned into before to make life livable, but now finding myself in a position of saying yes to a lot of very scary things and challenges, <laughs> and that's what's really taken my recovery to the yeah. next level, I think. I isn't, it, isn't it amazing those, you know, it, it always feels so trite, but those little phrases, um, how they kind of can totally reframe your way of thinking and way of life. Um, you know, I think of all of the 12 step programs that, uh, 12 step, uh, you know, kind of sayings that yeah. I still use every day, right? You know, first things first, do the next right thing. You're not alone, you know, and it's really, it's really amazing. Um, how just those little phrases can, you know, and as I was saying, really kind of reframe your reference around um, everything that you do. I went to, since this is a chill conversation, I'll just it is. I'll tell you a story. I went to uh, an event uh, for uh, kind of a major national treatment program, right? And the, the keynote speaker, um, was one of the co-founders of Life is Good Company, right? So, you know, Life is Good, they have, you know, those t-shirts with, uh, you know, kind of great sayings. And, you know, one of the things that she said to me that I still use to this day, right, is, you know, some, sometimes we get caught up in kind of the day-to-day -day kind of craziness and chaos in our lives, right? We, you know, we always say, oh, you know, I have to do this. I have to go to the grocery store and then I've got to clean the house and I have to do laundry. And, you know, she said something that, that I, I constantly try to use. And she said, instead of saying, I have to say, I get to, right. So instead of, I have to do laundry, like I get to do laundry, like, isn't it wonderful that I have clothes that I can wash, that I have a washing machine, that I have access to fresh water, or I have to go to the grocery store. Like, how lucky are we that we have the money to be able to buy food and we have access to fresh food? So, you know, it's, it's um, and, and one of the things she's saying is as a company, what they sell is gratitude, right? And just clothing is the vehicle by which they do that. And I just mm. thought, 
that was it was just kind of really wonderful and i've always kind of remembered that that's clever that's clever and i get it i get it and i get to get it yeah right you get to get it i know so think about tomorrow like when you wake up and you say i have to do this i have to do that <laughs> say say i get to do this <laughs> i get to cook breakfast you yeah. get to cook breakfast right <laughs> So, so on no things, but yes, um, we introduce ourselves. So tell us your name and, and a little bit about yourself. Um, my name is Michael Botticelli. Uh, a little bit about myself, you know, as, as I think <laughs> about kind of those, those identifiers, right? So like who I am, I am uh, a person in long-term recovery. Uh, I just celebrated uh, two weeks ago, my 34th anniversary. That's uh, you know, part parcel of my identity. I am an Italian American, which is like wholly part of my identity. Uh, I am a married gay man, uh, which is a significant part of my story and my identity. So, you know, I think that like if you were to ask me, like kind of who I am, um, I think that probably those three things um, kind of uh, sum up the core of who I am. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. I appreciate that. And that always uh, ends up being a thoughtful response by folks. You know, who are you? And usually it starts with, ooh, who am I? And you jumped right into, uh, <laughs> right into it. That's great. I think, you know, age, age gives you a certain perspective. <laughs> and maybe if you asked me that question 20 years ago, I, I would have had a hard time answering, but, you know, now that I'm old, you know, uh, I, you know, I, it, it is actually, I think one of the benefits of getting older and particularly getting older in recovery is that I think you just have a better sense of self and kind of who you are and what your values are and what's important to you. Oh, I agree. I'm definitely down with the, the wisdom of my age and, and uh, things are simpler for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, but um, you got on my radar when you became the uh, director of the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy. We all celebrated you as a person in recovery, as an openly gay man. And um, then I got to run into you at a big Texas rally for recovery and we took some pictures with our purple sashes on <laughs> yeah, at the state house right 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 and then um and then ultimately uh coming together again with um the recovery policy collaborative the addiction policy scholars program yeah. and, and i was so grateful that you were there and helping to inspire new addiction policy scholars to um to come and get them some no, was, um, I, you know, I, I really do think, well, and, and I've said this many times, while the work I think can be really challenging and can be really hard, it, it has always been the kind of people I've met along the way that have sustained me. Um, and it's really wonderful. It's one of my, you know, um, you know, as you look back over the arc of a career that I just really uh, value is that you know, um, yeah, we have some jerky people around, but by, mm -hmm. and by and large not, you know, I think we have people come to this work from a kind of a sense of self and from a place of passion and um, that, um, you know, recovery is not 
and the principles of recovery is not something for other people, it's something that you incorporate as part of your being. And, and whether you're individually in recovery or work in the field, I think that the people that I know have incorporated those kinds of things as part of their life. And, and I think that's why it's made it such a kind of rewarding place. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, when I had the conversation with uh, with Tom Hill in an earlier episode, he said it was never his plan to get into national public service whatsoever. Kind of stumbled into it. Was, <laughs> was I think it some that? of us? I think some of us helped push him in that direction too. <laughs> <laughs> was it was it part of your plan? I mean, what what how, how the heck did you end up there, Mike? Michael. Uh, so interesting, you know, and again, you know, my my journey into this work was not atypical from a lot of people who started, right? So I, uh, you know, I started off um, wanting to be a dean of students. That's what uh, I wanted to do. And I spent about 10 years working in college student administration um, and, you know, really loved the work. I loved working with students. It was all about student development and social justice. You know, it was really about kind of curating a non-academic experience, right, for, for students. And I, re I really, really liked it. And then while I was working at uh, Brandeis University just outside of Boston, uh, that's when I uh, uh, got into recovery. Um, and, uh, you know, we talk about like, you know, supportive employers. And I just had a great boss and a great employer. Uh, who just really helped kind of help support me in particularly those early days. And, you know, after a few years in recovery, um, my sponsor at that point was working for a treatment program and they wanted to do some better work and outreach to college students. And he asked me um, if I would be interested in it. And uh, and I was, um, uh, I just felt like it was the kind of right thing to do. It seemed like a nice kind of segue from working in kind of in a college environment to working with college students. Um, and so uh, I made the leap um, and worked for a number of years for private treatment programs. Um, and actually I, I hated it. I hated <laughs> just about every minute of it because uh, one, it was uh, all about what we used to call heads on beds, right? Yes. It was all about how many people you could get into treatment and how many people had private insurance and how many people were private pay. And, and it was also at the time of, um, you know, really the height of managed care and particularly about managed care in terms of denying access to people um, to mm -hmm. a whole host of services. And and so it, you know, it was a bit of a shady business too, where people felt like they had to um, either invent or exaggerate diagnoses in order to get people into treatment. And I understand that was for a noble cause, but it just felt, um, it felt lousy to me. It just mm -hmm. felt antithetical to being in recovery, quite honestly. And, um, but, but through those experiences, I got to know um, people who are working at the uh, Bureau of Addiction Services in Massachusetts at the time. I was on a number of task force and I was like, you know, these are really nice people and I really like the work that they do. And I like, you know, it was really focused on, you know, particularly for uh, uh, marginalized, disenfranchised folks, people who didn't have insurance. This was mm -hmm. before the Affordable Care Act. And, 
and um, and a position uh, opened up. Um, and so I jumped at the opportunity to take it. And in what I thought was going to be just a very short career in, in government, I did. I thought it was going to be, you know, two or three years, and then I'll go back to doing something sure. in the private sector. And I ended up staying at the health department uh, for uh, 18 years. And I loved it. I, I loved it. I mean, these were people who were just incredibly passionate about not only the work that they do, but but it, the work was really, you know, wrapped up in a sense of social justice and equity. Um, really, really wonderful, wonderful people. And, you know, I was lucky to have just kind of a you know, started at the bottom, the bottom rung of the work and, and just uh, was fortunate that, um, you know, I worked hard, but I also had people kind of looking out for me mm -hmm. um, and helping me and guiding me and supporting me and um, was able to kind of work up. I, you know, I did a little kind of moving around within the department, really got to know kind of the breadth of public health and got to know you know, management and administration, like all those skill sets that are really important. And then um, was, um, there was a vacancy in terms of the director of the bureau. And, you know, and I have to say, Don, it was one of the few positions that I actually really wanted and really worked for. And I just felt like I was the, the skill set that I had was the skill set that the position needed. There had been a number of directors before who were not from the field, who didn't have very much credibility in the field. Um, and um, and I felt like I, I could do the job. And I ended up uh, staying in that job for almost 10 years. Um, and it, you know, I look back now and it went by in a flash. <laughs> it went by in a flash. And, you know, this was during the building days of the opioid epidemic. And uh, because of some of the work that we were doing in Massachusetts, um, it got kind of the attention of folks who were with the Obama administration and Bill Kurlikowski and Regina LaBelle and a number of people came to Massachusetts uh, numerous times to look at some of the things that we were doing around naloxone distribution, recovery high schools, integration uh, uh, in primary care. And um, yeah, you might remember Tom McClellan was the deputy director at ONDCP, and Tom left the position. It wasn't a good fit for him. Uh, but I had known Tom for a long time, and he, um, uh, he, you know, when he was leaving, he uh, had to give the administration some names of people who he thought could do the job. And he, mine was one of them, and I kind of put it out of my head. I did, and then a number of months later, uh, Gil called me. Um, asked me if I would come down and talk about the job. And I, I thought this is just like an initial, um, you know, initial discussion and went to Washington and he asked me, do you want the job? And, you know, at, at, the, at the time, um, you know, my husband and I were looking for a change. I had been at, uh, at the health department for 10 years. I felt like um, I had done my job there. Um, and I felt like it was time um, for someone else, someone with a different skill set, to kind of take over the job. And um, and uh, and I won't go into the boring details, but I left. Uh, it was a little bit of a trying process um, mm -hmm. to to finally get in the job, um, but uh, but it worked out. 
um, it worked out. And then uh, Gil ended up leaving uh, for another position in the administration. And uh, I was nominated to be the director and was uh, fortunate to be confirmed uh, in that job. And again, not an easy process. So, you know, so that's, that's kind of the, you know, the, the, the long, the, the short version of a very long story, but it was really remarkable. And, you know, every, every step along the way, I'm sure you've had this experience, just like, how did I get here? Like, you know, just understanding like how lucky you are yep. to be able to, to do the work that you're able to do. Well, you know, there's there's two things that I had in common, and, and one was a supportive employer at my recovery initiation, which really wasn't a concept at the time. I stumbled into it, a recovery supportive employer, and and I, I mean, I was working I was working for Sears at the time, so I wasn't even near <laughs> the field at the time, and uh, and then you mentioned people looking out for me, and and so I, I had that going on. They saw the what gifts I might bring and, and, uh, and they help to nurture that and nurture yeah. the leadership potential. And, yeah. and I'm, I'm happy that we're deliberately going about that now with uh, the O'Neill Institute at Georgetown Law Center yeah. with policy scholars. It's, you know, I think it's really interesting to me, right? Those two things that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think they perfectly kind of encapsulate why people with lived experience need to be in those kinds of positions, right? Because I think we can reflect back both positively and negatively to experiences that we had and say, like, how do we institutionalize the good things so that they don't happen by accident, right? And how do we, from a policy or service perspective, get rid of the bad things, right? So so I think it's I think those are two great examples of like why people in recovery need to be um, in decision-making positions at every, every level of what we do, because I think we bring a perspective that is singularly ours, um, uh, just because we've lived it. And um, so, you know, so for me, like being able to do that at, you know, kind of the highest levels of both state and federal government, we're just, we're just, um, really amazing to me. It was just really amazing to me. That is amazing. It's basically what I've committed my career to now. When I introduce myself, I say I'm a person thriving in sustained recovery, but then I acknowledge that a fair amount of it was due to dumb luck and privilege and my fair share of yeah. hard work, my reasonable share of hard work. And I'm trying to go about making deliberate, making process, making policy best practice, those things that I stumbled into. I, re I remember when you said that at the uh, uh, Policy Academy, and I think it resonated with everybody in the room, right? It was just wonderful. It was like, including me, we're like, oh my God, that's absolutely right. Like that's that's how we should, we should be introducing ourselves because, right yeah, you know, because that's really what it's all about. Well, you know, SAMHSA just came out with its new vision statement, and they're including the word thrive in the vision statement now. Oh, that's great. That's fabulous. That's fabulous. Yeah. I didn't it, but, it, but, it's really, but, it's, but it's so true. And I think, you know, it immediately kind of resonated with me and resonated to, um, you know, everybody else. So that's wonderful. Well, well, that was that was a real how did I get here <laughs> moment for Donald McDonald as I'm talking about, you know, what is addiction and using accurate non-stigmatizing language. And I got 
I got you and Wes Clark sitting there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, how did this happen? But it was awesome. Thank you yeah. for. But we've all had those experiences, right? You know, you know, over the years, and um, you know, whether it's someone we don't know sitting in a meeting somewhere who said something, or mm. you know, someone who's in a you know who's gotten into a you know kind of position of of authority and privilege, right? And that's. I, you know, I'm looking at the sign behind you, right? And it says recovery is contagious. Yes. Which we all know who said that, right? Yeah. Right, Bill White. And Bill White. like, I think it just gives me chills to even say his name. It's really wild. But, but you know, um, I think we've all had those experiences and privileges in our lives to be to be able to do that. And um, I, 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 I disagree with you on one point. Hmm. I don't think it's a matter of luck. Ah. I think it's a matter of serendipity. Yeah. You know, I really believe that. And, you know, if you listen to many people's story about like how they got into recovery or what happened during their recovery, you know, like at the surface, it, it sounds like almost unbelievable and miraculous, right? But you hear too many of these <laughs> to say like, this is not just a one-off thing, right? I know. Like, I like know. this, like, I, I think it's one of those things about recovery that becomes really remarkable that there is a sense of serendipity about it in yeah. terms of you, you probably, I, I always love the expression, like God, God puts people into your life for a reason. And it's yeah. up to you to figure out what the reason is. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and I think kind of that, that kind of captures the kind of serendipity piece about it. Like, you know, that there, there are like almost everyone in front of you is somebody you have something to learn from. Um, mm. And, you know, and, and so I think that that's a part of the, um, part of the remarkable kind of recovery journey, I, at least for me. I, oh, I agree with you. Okay. There's, there's magic in the mix. Yeah. Um, it's just when I'm uh <laughs> When I'm doing public policy, behavioral health policy advocacy, I kind of downplay the magic a little and use, you know, a word like luck because um Yeah, 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 yeah. Serendipity is just not scalable. It's not cutting it. It's, <laughs> not cutting. it's it's hard to measure, right? It's hard to it's hard to measure serendipity. No, no, yeah. no, no. I, but but you know, it's really interesting. And I remember it's it's funny, I remember when I was in Massachusetts, right? And I was really trying to um institute more accountability for programs and really thinking about instituting this is where i was working with tom mcclellan really trying to institute you know some kind of measurements and i would hear from a lot of the old school folks many of whom were most of them who were in recovery they kind of saying the same thing ah, you can't measure recovery you know blah 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 and i'm like uh one you can Yes. like and two like we have to like how how can we you know, there, there are so many reasons why you need it but like as someone who had to advocate for funding yeah like i've got to tell a story here and the same thing like a legislator and appropriator yeah <laughs> it's it, you know it's not gonna it, say it, well you know there's you, you can't like Pulling someone's heartstrings only goes so far. Like they want to see, like, what am I getting for my money? 
it, it's hard hard to get folks to fund the ethereal the ineffable yeah yeah, yeah 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 it, we can measure recovery indeed. yeah you can i think you can you know you can like measure you know those um you know whether it's you know a sense of well-being whether it's a sense of connection to other people mm-hmm. whether it's the restoration of you know personal relationships like yeah we can measure those things like we 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 can measure like the kind of the miracles of the program they're they're not mutually exclusive yeah it's complicated (laughs) but we 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 have to to go out there and do it and um there's been some examples of of measuring life and recovery Mm -hmm. alexandra laday's life and recovery Mm -hmm. survey was just seminal Mm -hmm. bit of work for sure well what what are you what are you up to now not much, <laughs> um, but awesome. um, you know, about three years ago, I, uh, you know, this was kind of planned. Uh, about uh, I decided about, uh, about uh, I decided long before then, but about three years ago, decided that I was going to take a kind of major step back from mm-hmm. uh, the work that I was doing, uh, knowing full well that the field was in good hands with people like yourself <laughs> and, and others. But seriously, like, you know, that's part of the work that we do, right? Like how do, you know, you were talking about it before, like how do we continue to mentor um, people to uh, to be their best in this field? And and I, I really feel like we're incredibly lucky that we have a very deep bench uh, yes. of people who, um, who, who are, you know, kind of coming after people like me to be able to kind of take up the mantle. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's, that's really it. Um, you know, then let, I, then I, segue I, no, 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 I'm doing some other things, but I think, you know, and I, I don't know if this resonates with you. Like I always say, like, um, people who are in this field, like we're, we're great at giving things to other people who are not so great at our own self-care behavior, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that was part of it for me. Like I said, okay, like it's, it's, it's time to like kind of concentrate on my own health, you know, uh, my own fitness. So, uh, it, uh so, so that's kind of, you know, kind of part of it, like start started working out again on a regular basis, started playing a lot more tennis. Uh, you know, I've joined the pickleball craze uh, and I'm playing a lot of pickleball, which is fun, but I'm still doing, I'm still involved, right? And, uh, you know, doing things like this for people that I like uh, mm-hmm. and for who I think are doing important work. Um, you know, I still participate in that. I'm doing, uh, I'm on a couple advisory boards um, and uh, actually doing some work uh, for the State Department, um, focusing on kind of uh, continuing to uh, energize an international recovery movement. Um, and the international work has always been intriguing to me in terms of, of one, how what we do here in the United States has kind of resonates with people around the world. Um, but But really to think about this as a global movement and it is it's really it's you know it's really interesting to be talking to folks from africa who you know are starting like recovery community organizations and you know advocating for recovery support services so so that's been, that's fun that's been a blast and so that's we're just getting uh we just uh started a a, a work group under the state department of all these folks from around the world looking at uh looking at how do we uh, continue to catalyze the recovery movement internationally. 
So, so it's fine. So I'm still involved. So nothing taxing, nothing taxing. I don't, you know, it can't interfere with my pool time. <laughs> well, that, it was just a perfect segue though. Cause we always talk about on here, you know, what do you do for fun? Cause recovery is not just a trudge through a veil of tears. We're having fun. And I remember running into you in DC and saying, Michael, how come you, how come you look better now than you did at the beginning of the pandemic? All the rest of us, <laughs> all the rest of us I look know. worse. And, and you just explained, you've been working out. That's yeah. what's up. So I, what do you do for fun? You're working out, you playing tennis and pickle, yeah. uh, doing a lot of volunteering traveling. on your terms. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's been good. It's been good. So, um, and that's nice. Like I um, had to learn how to say no, which was mm. interesting. Right. Um, uh, to be able to do, but, you know, um, someone gave me a, you know, a, a good piece of advice and they said, you know, and plus it was during the pandemic, so it was easy to do, but they said, you know, really for the first six months, don't do anything, right? Um, kind of get grounded, figure out what you want to do, figure out how much time you you want to do, kind of structure time that you want to do. So, so that's been good. Um, but, uh, you know, I've been doing some uh, doing some traveling, which has really been wonderful. I love traveling and especially that it's around food. You know, I love, <laughs> I'm kind of a foodie. And so, you know, I love to cook, love to go out to eat. And, uh, most of my travel is like, like food's got to be involved some way, you know? <laughs> so if it's not, if it's not to a place of good food, so, so, it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really been nice. It's, it's really, um, I, I had actually thought, um, the transition to um, kind of being kind of not working full time and not being connected would be much more difficult uh, than it has been. But I'll tell you, man, it's been like the easiest transition of my life. So I, I wish the same for everybody. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait. And I know it's going to involve travel and food as well. I know. Sure. I know. But I think, you know, we, we, we <clears throat> have to acknowledge like as wonderful as the work is, it's really hard work. And, and mm -hmm. I think it's been especially hard work, you know, during this epi epidemic. And, you know, if I think of kind of the entirety of my time, you know, kind of doing this work, it's been, you know, during the epidemic and that's hard, you know, that can be really, really hard sometimes. And, you know, I think, you know, at least for me, when you are in positions of responsibility, like, you bear the weight of that response, you know, you, you bear a significant weight uh, on that. And, you know, um, as, as much as I loved my job at ONDCP, you know, it's, re it's really hard sometimes yes. to say like, you're it, man. Like, you know, um, and again, you don't do it alone. You know, you don't do it to other right. people, but like you're in the chair and, you know, and trying to do everything that you can. And, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, exhaustion that comes along with that, uh, you know, as well as the travel and, you know, all the other stuff. So, so, so for me, like I can, you know, I, I, I knew it was time. I knew it was time. And, and, you know, again, really felt um, uh, part of, I think what that, that made that transition so much easier was because I felt like things were in good hands and, and that makes, you know, that makes you feel, that makes you feel good. You know, every episode, I like an Easter egg hunt, I search for the title of the episode 
and uh, it often reveals itself. Sometimes I get choices, but I'm kind of leaning towards uh, uh, we're in good hands or things are in good hands. <laughs> oh, good. Think, oh, good. I, I do. I, yeah, I feel that way. I think, Seriously, you know, look, look, look at, you know, kind of some of the people that we know and that we've worked with and the privilege right, that we have. Um, you know, I think of people in my home state, you know, who are just doing uh, great work. Um, I think of people at the national level, like Regina LaBelle, like uh, Tom Coderre, <laughs> like yourself. You know, I think, you know, when you look at both kind of national and state level and local level, like, I as I said, I think we have a really deep bench of folks. Um, and I think there is so much momentum um, you know, around the work that we're doing now that, you know, I, I, I feel optimistic, uh, you know, despite all of the tragedy and all of the difficulties, like I, 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 I feel a sense of optimism for the field uh, in terms of where we are and kind of the movement. I'm feeling that as well, even after visiting DC recently, which sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but what we always leave with, uh, with a message, with a succinct message. Uh, is there one you want to shoot to my millions of listeners? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, 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 I have to tell you this, like I just deleted my Twitter account, but I think I had 17 followers on, on Twitter. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so. Um, you know, it's funny, as soon as you said that, my immediate reaction was hope, right? And I think that that's, um, I think that's, I think that's always been the message. I think that's always been why we've done this work. Um, I think it's, you know, I, I think it continues to guide us, and um, and I think it's what we try to instill in other people um, is a a sense of hope and optimism. And you know, I think that that's what we should kind of focus on. At least that's kind of my message: is that there's so much to be hopeful for, even even in the midst of tragedy, even in the midst of challenging political times, um, you know, I think it's the, um, I think, you know, kind of retaining a sense of hope, uh, hopefulness um, is, is I think what, it sustains me, and I think what sustains a lot of people. All right, hope, centered it on hope, always. Hope. Yep. I love it. Well, it was a little treat. I appreciate you so much. Oh, it was fun. This was fun. It was fun doing it. So,